0: May I remind you of the words that were read earlier by Taylor? Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Colossians 1, 22 and 23. And we're making our way through this great book. I don't know if you noticed, as we were singing, one line of the song said, that we might know your truth and that your truth in us will put a stop to error. That your truth in us, you may have heard me giving this illustration before, which I heard when I was a young student, that the FBI, when they are getting used to counterfeit money, that they do not touch a counterfeit. They only touch the real Things so that when, you, when, the, when the unreal comes, you are able to discern it immediately. And Jesus gives us this illustration of this truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're never able to come to understanding what is wrong until we come to understand what is right, what is truth. It is God's word that teaches that. And so Paul The church at Colossae is about to face tremendous challenges from error. There are people coming into the church and they were bringing a new kind of doctrine, adding to the truth of the gospel with philosophies and new thoughts of theological thoughts. And Paul, knowing this, in prison, he's praying and God the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write, what we are studying, and you will see that what he told them at that time is no different than what we are facing in the 21st century. That God's word is not out of date. It is the eternal contemporary, if we want to put it that way. Please listen then as Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh, the body, through death in order to present you holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation, all creation on the heaven, and of which I, Paul, am made a minister. One of the world's favorite verses of scripture is, judge not that ye not be judged. They love that verse. Of course, it's taken out of context. Because that gives them a reason to say you should not judge me and I should not judge you. So we are able to have a wonderful time together. You are okay and I am okay. Yet it was none other than Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7 who said you shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. How will your neighbor, how will my neighbor know that I am a believer in the scriptures, that I go to church? How will they know? Will they be impressed simply by what they hear me say? If, if some, when was that, a couple of weeks ago, I picked up I picked up uh, Holly from the airport, and we we're on our way to our place. And there was a reason that Lois couldn't go because she was working on her stuff. No, Lois was with me. She was with me. Almost messed up the story there. And so Lois was in the car waiting while I took Holly to the store. To pick up some stuff. <laughs> And as I was walking in, who should meet me coming out of the store with me walking into the store with this strange woman? My neighbor. (laughs) Oh, man, I wanted so much to call them and say, I want you to know that Lois was in the car waiting. I mean, I wanted to explain this right away. (laughs) See, will they know that I'm a minister... By what I say to them, or by what they see in my life. The only way they will know is if they could see the fruit. If they could see the proof. The the proof is really in the fruit. And verse 21 of our text says, When God reconciled us to Himself, He did it first by redeeming us. Redeeming means to buy back, to bring back. That's where we we experience the forgiveness of God. But redemption or redeeming leads to reconciliation. Reconciliation means when we are again connected to that which we were estranged from. And the text tells us that we were that way with God before Christ. Remember the message on before Christ and after Christ. And after that. After redemption comes reconciliation and after reconciliation comes renewing. And Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says, this is what you will experience once the process of renewing begins. You have been redeemed. You have been reconciled. Now you will begin to experience the third step in the process, and that is renewing. And he puts it this way. If you continue, if you continue, you you started by believing, if you continue to believe. So what he's talking about here is this. He's talking about what the theologians call the perseverance of the faith. The perseverance of the faith. And what is perseverance? Perseverance is the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, by which the work of divine grace that has begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. Bur that from the theologian Burcroft. Perseverance. as someone has put it, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. The Christian life is not a hundred yards dash. How you begin is not as important as how you end. I haven't talked to my son-in-laws yet, but he, he was involved in running a marathon yesterday. Every, every, every morning, I, I walk for two miles. I do speed walking for two miles. And some mornings, I tell you, I just want to say, Quit. And, and, and I'm going, and, and I, you'll find this funny. And sometimes I, I, I pace myself. Okay, I want to get to this place. And the one thing that encourages me all the time as I am around the field five times, six times, seven times, it's a portable outhouse. I I tell myself, if I can make it to that outhouse, I'm okay. And at times when I want to give up, at number six, I look at that outhouse, and I continue to persevere. If I want to make it, friends, friends, the goal that I have in mind, the goal that God has for me, I want to persevere. My, my faith by which I came into the relationship with him must, must be progressive. It must, it must move in a direction that begins some of the experience in my own inner life having to do with the reality of having been redeemed, having been reconciled, and now being renewed. If if points to what is our responsibility in the relationship if you continue in the faith that is if you persevere listen listen to how Paul puts it I'm reading from the Phillips translation just for a change I have always found you obedient, laboring earnestly with fear and trembling, not merely in as though I am present but with with you, but much more now that I'm absent from you. Labor earnestly, I say. Make sure of your own salvation, for it is God who is working in you both to will or having the desire and the power to execute his gracious will. Here, here's, here, here's every religion in the world. Every religion in the world says, you do or you die. The gods of the world do not have a relationship with its followers. It has master and servant. But in Christianity, not only does God save us, but He sends His Spirit to live in us, so that the Spirit begins to change us from inside out, that we begin to find new desires and new passions in our lives because He is renewing us. He's doing something that is making us totally, totally change from what we were. It's, uh, like I said, I I was watching the parade yesterday and one reason I was there was to see my grandson. He, he was he was he was the band that showed up. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, that there was a band from Albany that didn't show up. Well, his band showed up. And 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 I watched him. This boy just I, I held him in my arms in Georgia where he was born. And today I look in his face. I almost want to call him sir. <laughs> He's grown. He's grown. And my friends, that's what God wants. When He redeemed you and reconciled you, it's because He wants you to grow. He he wants wants you to be something other than you are, something that that can be of benefit to Him, to yourself, and to others. And you can only do that if, if what has happened to you continues to happen to you It, it is not that i am i am saved today and i can just leave it off until some other time no if you leave it off until some other time by the time that other time comes you would have lost all that time because it is to be a process by which from the beginning to the end it is god who is at work in you both to will and to do what he wants i find a new allegiance for my spirit for my soul, saving faith is progressive. It doesn't stay by itself. It doesn't stay at the cross. It goes into, into, into high gear. The Holy Spirit begins to work to change me. Secondly, I call the saving faith is prolific. Prolific speaks of Productivity. And listen to what Paul says. That you were redeemed, you were reconciled, and now what he wants to do is to present you holy, without blame, beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in what has happened, you came to the cross by faith. And now, Paul says, I want you to understand that you are to be established in that faith. The King James translation says you are grounded in it. It means to take root. It means that it goes down deep. And it goes down so deep that whatever criticism comes against what you believe, you are able to withstand it because you're rooted and you're grounded in what you believe. When we have a belief, my friends, that can be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, that will not do. Our faith must be so deep in what we believe. The Spirit of God is taking us to understand certain things about our faith. So that it is capable of withstanding the criticism that faith doesn't make sense. That faith is only for weak people. That faith is believing even though you know it can't happen. Listen, that kind of faith is not what we're talking about. The faith I'm talking about is the faith that has happened. Christ died. Christ was raised from the dead. Christ was ascended in heaven. Christ is in heaven interceding for me right now. And I believe that. And no matter what... The devil will throw against what I believe. I will continue in the faith that I began in because he has reconciled me. He has redeemed me that he might renew me. And the more he renews me, the deeper I go down into my faith. In 1961, I was in a storm. The wind was blowing 200 miles an hour. I was wide awake. wasn't asleep. I wasn't dreaming. And I remember in the middle of the night when all the electricity and everything had been blown away, I could hear in a home where there were 27 of us trying to find some refuge from the storm. I could hear the wind blowing against the house. And then there'd be, there'd be a calm, and you would think it was finished. That is known as the eye of the hurricane. And I, I, in 1931, when was the first time it happened, people thought that it had ended, and they went out, and hundreds of people lost their lives, because it was only the calm before the storm. And so we stayed inside, and before too long, we could hear like an army was coming up the road, and the wind was coming. And to shorten my story, by the end of two days, just about everything was flat. And I remember going to the place where I was going to spend the night with the man I was working for, he owns a mansion. And to this day, that mansion has not been found. It was blown from its foundation. That's where I was going to spend the night. The only thing that was standing when I got two days after, three days after, were palm trees. Palm trees, the only thing standing. Because it is said that the roots of the palm tree is so deep And so rooted that it will bend, but it will never break. Is your faith like that? The pressures of time, the pains of life, the politicians, the criticism of your faith and my faith, the moving of the foundation. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. To the Christians in Corinth. So, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. Nothing will stop me from believing and serving God because the root of my faith is deep, it is rooted, it is grounded, it is established, it is settled. Have you not heard of people who say, I used to believe, but I don't believe anymore? They were not rooted. They were not grounded. Because, my friends, true faith that is rooted in the reality of the cross might bend, but it will never break. It will never break. It is. It, it is our faith is made to produce... So that we can know the fruit that Jesus is talking about. By their fruit you will know them. Faith by which we embrace salvation continues to take deeper and deeper and deeper. So that what is believed becomes settled. Unmovable. But faith is not only perseverance. Faith is permanent permanent listen to what paul says in verse 23 not moved away this has significance for our time paul says there are three lasting qualities in life faith hope and love three lasting qualities that time will come, and time will go, but there are three things that will not go, they will last because it is they are permanent: faith, hope, and love. Here he's talking about faith, talking about faith, and the first thing he says about faith is that faith is timeless, faith is timeless, not moved away. The Christian walk is one that that repeat that 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 is it's, it's deep in faith. And there will come time when we will face things and don't allow it, don't allow those things to move you away from what you believe. Don't allow those things to get in the way. When, when you see the changes that's taking place, don't allow it to make you change your mind about what you believed. What saved you in the first place? What gave you hope in the first place? Don't allow that to happen. Paul, in talking to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 3, says, You started out in faith, and do you believe that you can continue by sight? The Christian life is lived by faith, not by sight. From beginning to end, as you have received Christ Jesus by faith, so walk by faith in Him. Now, Now, faith is not believing. May I just say a moment? Take a moment here. Faith is not the belief in something even though we know it can't happen. That's what the skipper said to Gilligan. (laughs) That's not the faith we're talking about, my friends. We are talking about faith in what has happened. The historical reality of Christ on earth and now Christ back in heaven. We're talking about something that is real. Let me give you an illustration of this. The Church of Scotland, the church founded by John Knox, one of the, the great church leaders in history. The Church of Scotland was one of the churches from which some of the great theologians have come. And this church started to move away from the gospel. And it is suggesting, suggested now that by 2033, the Church of Scotland will be extinct. It will be gone. Because they have moved away from the gospel. So now, they want to see if they can do something to help that the prediction of 2033 won't come to pass. So they have, they have developed a committee to see ways by which they are able to bring the church its life that it has lost. Everything but the gospel. So the three things they have suggested <laughs> is that the church should start to offer baptism online. <laughs> that the church should start offer Communion online. And that the church should now get its membership online. Now so if you have anything between your ears, you would think this. For baptism, you need to have a body there. For communion, you need to have somebody there. But you see what they're doing? They still, they still refuse To go from where they have left. They left the gospel. And as a result of the gospel being left. They are dying because they are not connected. The roots have been somehow getting worse and worse. Deteriorating at the bottom. And now to rescue the church. They are trying anything they can. So that the church would survive. In 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. The word world there is not the cosmos. The word for word there is what is happening presently. So that Demas was attracted to what was happening. Thoughts, philosophies, ideas. And as a result of that, he came to the place where he could no longer Square, believing by faith and living by sight. Some of you in this audience will remember the name Chuck Templeton, Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham. In fact, they said that if Chuck had continued as God had called him, he would have been more popular than Billy Graham. Billy Graham would tell you that. Articulate, brilliant mind. At one point, he even passed at a church in Toronto. And Chuck Templeton went to a certain Ivy League school. And instead of being steep in the doctrine they uprooted what Chuck Templeton believed and he claimed with his own words that he was no longer a Christian but an agnostic. Just before he died, he was being interviewed and the interviewer asked him, Mr. Templeton, what Do you miss the most since you have turned away from your faith? And the writer said, when he asked the question, Chuck Templeton turned away from him to try and disguise the fact that tears were beginning to come from his his eyes. And when he was able to compose himself, What I miss is Jesus. I miss Jesus. He said Jesus is the foundation, friends. That's what Paul said. Other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid. But let every man be careful how he builds on the foundation. When we think that our souls can be redeemed by anything apart from Christ, then we begin to move away. Our faith begins to look into other things when we believe that it is possible to take some new philosophy that's coming along because that is making the church grow. This is what we should do. And so, we are at the place in our history today where we are seeking to find out what's new. What's the new thing? What can we do to make the church grow? And when we say grow, we're not talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about numbers. We're talking about filling the pews with people because the more people there are, the more people will think we are something. And my friends, the scripture says, by their fruit you shall know them. And Paul is saying, God has redeemed you. He has reconciled you to renew you so that you are able to live in this world by your faith, blameless, above reproach. That's the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith. But I want you to see quickly what I call the tenet of faith. What what is it that faith believes? What does the word pistos, which is the Greek word for believing, Same for faith. What does it mean? What is it that we believe? Listen to Paul. He gives us right in the text. Look at verse 23 again. If indeed you continue firmly in the faith, established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel or the hope that the gospel brings. The gospel. We're not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're talking about that which comes from God, the gospel, the good news, that Christ died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, he's ascended. That's the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. But what what are we talking about here when we say the gospel? This gospel that caused John Wesley to leave the shores of England to go to America to try and save the Indians, only to get there and to realize, I don't know that I know this gospel. So he went back to England. And one day at Alders Gate, they're reading the book of Romans, and Luther came face to face with the gospel. He repented of his sins, trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Wesley, in his own words, I felt my heart strangely moved. And then he began to seek to delineate this gospel to other places. That same denomination that he founded back in the 18th century. As a branch of it is called today, the United Methodist Church. This past two weeks they had their conference in Portland. The United Methodist Church is the second largest denomination in the world. It has something like 12 million members in the United States and in Africa. And this past week this past two weeks they had their conference. And an African bishop got up and said these words and I quote them for you. The the bishop of the African United Methodist Church, the people that brought us the gospel are now teaching a different gospel. He said, it is beyond me that cultural Christianity should take over in the place of the Bible. Cultural Christianity. What is believed out there? What, 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 are they, what, what are the masses saying? At that same conference, one of the largest United Methodist Church, and may I say I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about what's going on, when Paul said, don't be moved from the gospel, don't be moved from the gospel. The largest UMC church in the United States the pastor of that church got up and he said these words. We must realize that the gospel is a divine as well as human book. And that God spoke to men from the standpoint of their culture. So we must find What God is saying, not from the Bible, but from the culture, so we can bring it into the Bible. And as such, we should allow each local conference to have their say on what they think of issues, especially the issues that the church is facing today. My friends, you move away from the gospel, and you move away from the mind of God. The gospel is, is news from God, not developed by, and, and this, this, this Dr. Hamilton went on to talk about how, how Paul, when Paul wrote, he wrote for, it might have been true that Paul said certain things for his day, but that doesn't mean that it's true for our day. That's a church saying that. And so we must ask ourselves, my friends, do we want the culture to define our faith? Or we want our faith to define the culture? We must make that decision. Because it is not far. You'll be surprised in places where this is happening. Just make mention to you again. That there are theologians that used to be evangelical theologians that are now questioning the first 11 chapters of the Bible, saying that Adam and Eve were not the first two people that God created. Theologians are saying that. And they hold, they hold to scriptural inerrancy. And how can you say the scripture is inerrant without error, and then the first 11 chapters are in error? Let me close with what I call the pattern of faith. So it will bring the two pieces together. The gospel which you have heard. Which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Look in chapter 1 verses 4 to 6. And you will see what the gospel was doing. This gospel is bearing fruit in your life. And we want this, this, this gospel to go on. To come to the place where it begins to bring fruit in every other life. So how, would the, how will fruit be in the lives of others unless they heard the gospel. Unless they heard the gospel. That is, my friends, that the gospel, wherever it goes, if you go to, if you go to a Christian church this morning, the one thing you should find, no matter where you go, if it's across the road, Across the nation, the one pattern you will find is that the Bible is central. Once the Bible becomes secondary, it is no longer a church. Because the church can only exist where the gospel is existing. And Paul is saying the gospel is unique in that it ties believers no matter where they are together You find someone who who is an African, someone who is black, or someone who is white, someone who is red or yellow, whatever the case be, and you will find this pattern, the gospel is the thing that ties them together, because only the gospel can do that. No other thing is able to do that. So you get away from the gospel, my friends, and what do you have? (laughs) You have a church like the one I mentioned in Toronto, where this woman passed this this woman pastor said she's an atheist, but she's the pastor of the church. You know, when I, when I was, when I was in, in college, I know something was up because I was invited to a, a home for supper. And it's interesting that when we were getting around the table for supper, they wanted me to sit at a certain place. And my mind, the way it works. See, I tell you, when I go to banks... I look for exits. Just in case something happens, I know where to go. So when they wanted me to sit in this one place, I thought, they have a reason for wanting me to sit here. So they put the glass in front of me. And the glass was one of those glasses that you should, if you fill it up, it's a full glass. But for some reason... This glass was put in a certain place in a certain position so that when I took the glass to drink the water it would come on my shirt. The glass looks natural but there was a hole in it. A hole that was upside down so that when you put it this way it goes that way. And I thought, you're not going to get me, so guess what I did? I knew there was something there. So I turned the glass and put my hand this way. Destroy all their philosophy. Except when I was invited again, because that's where students used to go, and when someone else was there, I participated in it. (laughs) Friends, sometimes... You hear something on television, radio, you read it in literature, and it sounds so good until you place it beside the truth. And the moment you place it beside the truth, you realize there is a hole in it. There's a hole in it. It is not saying what the Spirit of God says from the truth, from the Scriptures. Listen to what this pastor said. The Bible says, contains the word of God but not necessarily is the Bible the word of God and how do we know what part contains it and not a part that does not we are the arbiter of that we become the dictators to say what is and what is not and so the gospel is universal wherever you go I don't have time to read what, how the gospel moved from the first century to our century. And what was God, how was God going to do that? You look in, in chapter 2 of Acts and there were all kinds of people from under heaven and they heard the gospel, the church was born there and these people who went back to the nations from which they came, they took the gospel there. The Ethiopian that Philip spoke with went back to Africa. And Paul took the gospel into places, right into Europe. And then there was a time when, when, when God brought two people together, Susanna and Samuel Wesley. And he brought the gospel to London. And those two boys became God's tool to awaken London to its need. And then their missionaries sent to different parts of the world. And then they came to, to North America, to the Western world. And one day, a young man was born to Mr. and Mrs. Graham. He gave birth to a son called William Graham, and he's taken the gospel to every nation under the world in the world. And then there was a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, and he took the gospel to different parts of the world. And what I want you to see, my friends, that Paul preached it, got it from Jesus. It came to the early church, it came to the reformers, it came to Western, and it's one gospel. It hasn't changed. One gospel, it's universal. But it's an unwavering gospel call to which the pastor is given. He ends it this way. To proclaim under, under, all, in all creation, under him, of which I am made a minister. I am made Paul didn't like this gospel before he was a believer. And when he became a believer, God worked in him. And his faith went deep, deep rooted into the cross. And God worked in his life so that he became a proclaimer of what he once destroyed or tried to destroy. And One day, there was a young monk. By the name of Martin Luther, who was called upon to recant what he believed. His faith was on trial, not not simply what he believed, but his belief in what he believed. And he believed the gospel. And with the bishops around Luther, Luther, you can be set free if you will stop believing what you're believing. And listen to Luther's response and with this I close. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And I want to make this commitment to you friends that as your pastor my conscience is held captive to God's word. I have never had a reason to recant or to die, deny any part of it. And like Paul, I want to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone. But first in me, it has gone deep, it's grounded. It's rooted and I stand on it and may our church stand on it unmovable, unshakable. Let the winds come. Let them say what they want about our faith. Our faith is in God, his revealed word and in the good news we call the gospel. Let's pray. Father, allow your word to penetrate deep into our minds. You have spoken, Lord, to hearts this morning. I don't know who those hearts are. You do. And you know what you have said to them. But whatever you have said, Lord, I know that it will be concerning the immovability of faith in your word. Whatever you have said, it will be that they might be rooted and grounded in the faith, that they might live lives, that the fruit of their lives might be seen and read. (laughs) As Gypsy Smith said, there are five Gospels, five Gospels, and most people will not read the four, but they'll read the one. That's your life. May we be gospels for people to read because we are being shaped by the gospel for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen.